This was a series of sermons preached by Aaron Hale at Riverside Bible Camp in the summer of 2023. The theme verse for the week was from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Great to uh, yeah, make it to Wednesday night. You guys should be proud of yourselves. And I was thinking of, uh, I don't think you've probably been on um, maybe a long hike or maybe a run, and some of you guys are joking about marathon runs, and you hit that point of the run where your muscles are sore, your body is tired, and it just feels like maybe you kind of want to lay down and just stop. Um, in some ways, I feel like there, there comes that point as we're working through our study this week, and I want to encourage you to press on, to uh, gather up your attentiveness and try to, to pay attention as we continue to look at God's plan of salvation through the scriptures, and I've uh, really struggled with where to go, because our time is, I feel like, running out very quickly, and you may not feel that way, but uh, for me, it feels like, oh, we only have a few opportunities left to continue on, and, uh, and so I want to spend some time talking about the man of Abraham tonight, and we've been looking at um, the idea of God's covenants in which he relates to us, right, and that God always relates to man in the context of a covenant. And what exactly is a covenant? So this is I know, a question we've already had, but can someone remind me what a covenant is? Sign in the reader. Um, sure, go for it. What is a covenant? A promise between... <laughs> a little bit more. Like God and Noah, like Okay, just more of a general... That was an example. Yeah, you can help them out. Agreement between two or more people. Yeah, so promise or agreement. Here, there. You guys helping out things. <laughs> so we've, we've been talking about that. It's a um, promise between or an agreement between two or more people. And um, we've looked our way through the, the covenant with Noah. Now I know it was a very quick run through this morning as we were looking at the covenant with Noah and why that was significant. And so I wanted to look at a little bit the covenant that God made with Abraham, all right? Uh, I know a few days ago I mentioned that I'm a fan of various stories. You guys, I know, also mentioned some stories you like. Uh, I love, you know, Tolkien's world of, of Lord of the Rings. And, and yet, really, whenever you look at a story that has been written by an, an author today, no matter what it is, if it's, you know, you guys are joking about Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, uh, you know, we appreciate the elements of, of good and evil, of tension, of the good guy versus the bad guy. But when, when we look at human stories, what we tend to find is eventually they break down, don't they? There, there begins to be contradictions. There begins to be holes in the plot. There begins to be things that don't really connect. And yet when we look at the, the scriptures of this story that God has written and is being played out even now, the story that you are part of, whether you realize it or not, um, it is absolutely incredible how God has woven it together. And um, would you be able to put that slide up for me, John, for a second? I know we looked at this slide um, a few days ago. I just want to remind you of it because I think it's such a helpful picture 
of uh, exactly the, the, the picture of God's story of the Bible. Um, and remember when we talked about the beginning is, is Genesis, over here is Revelation. And I know the light's kind of bright, but all of the various lines that come and connect and give us this beautiful, oh, thank you, give us this beautiful picture. What that's illustrating is, is cross-references. So in Genesis, where we have that referenced over here in the New Testament, he, the, the, the guy who created this just drew these lines across, right? You get this beautiful picture of how interconnected the Bible is. And so I want to turn with you this evening to the book of Genesis once again. And we're going to go all the way over to, t- to chapter 12. Thanks, God. And uh, so we've been working our way through this, this account of Scripture. And we've seen, I hope you're... you're uh, I know many of you are tracking with me because I've been able to join some of you for devotions and I really appreciate the questions and you're connecting dots. And we saw in Genesis, um, what was the promise given to Adam and Eve, uh, even in the midst of the curse that God put upon the serpent? What, what did God say would one day come from the woman's tree? Yeah, thank you. There would, there would come one from the woman who would crush the serpent's head. So all throughout the Old Testament, there is this question going on. Who is the serpent crusher? When will he come? And we looked at Noah as the question comes up, um, maybe Noah's the guy. Maybe he's the one who's going to fix the problem. And then we saw, no, actually, while Noah is a picture of God's grace and salvation, and even the ark itself points us to Christ, Noah did not solve the problem. So if you go with me to Genesis 12, now, how many of you are familiar with the, uh, the story of Abraham? Can you tell me anything about Abraham that you know? What do you know about Abraham? Anything? Just a name? He was a wanderer. A wanderer. Okay, thank you. What else do you know about Abraham? Sure, just shout it out. He was said, God said he had no children and stars. Okay, so he had a, a promise from God. Yeah, good. We'll look at that. Not too much about Abraham. Have you guys read the story of Abraham at all from, from Genesis? Kind of familiar with it? I'm assuming you're familiar with it. But what I want to do is look at some highlights. We're not going to read through the whole account for the sake of time. But in uh, chapter 12, we, we come from the story of Noah. And from there, we have a list of descendants that come from Noah's children. And in, in chapter 12, we have the famous story of the Tower of Babel, where God confuses the language no longer does man speak one language, but multiple languages, and they are then scattered around the earth as they're supposed to be. Uh, because they, they were supposed to, remember, cover the face of the earth, so the image of God would, would be covering the earth. So God confuses their language, they are forced to scatter, and then we have this, this list of Shem's descendants. This is one of, of Noah's sons, and then it becomes apparent that the serpent crusher is going to come from Shem, And specifically, we're told of a man named Abram. So in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham, or Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, 
and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people they had acquired in Haran. So God uh, comes to this man, this seemingly insignificant man. He's just with his father. He's building a life. They've moved, and uh, he has a wife. Now, we're told just in the previous chapter that his wife actually can't have children. And so God comes to this man and calls him, and he gives him this promise. And actually, there's several parts to the promise. He tells him that he must leave his family and go to a land he will show him. And God says he's going to make him into a great nation and through him bless all the nations. Now this is a problem because his wife can't have children. How is God going to make a man with a barren wife the father of a great nation? And he also promises in verse 7 of chapter 12 that he will inherit the land of Canaan. And this is something that Abraham has repeated over and over to him again. The the promise that God has made. And if we go on um, to chapter 15, there's some other stuff that happens there, but we're just kind of focusing on Abraham here. So if you keep moving on to chapter 15, and God comes to him and again affirms this promise. And he says in... um, Verse 5, because Abraham, he's thinking about this, the years are going by, his, his wife still hasn't had any children, he's like, well, maybe, maybe my, my servant Eleazar would be the, the, the offspring that God's talking about. And God says, no, it's not him, it's going to be your son, your own son from your wife. And so he brings him out, we're told in verse 5, and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, we're told, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then something very strange happens. We're told that Abraham uh, says to the Lord, um, how am I to know that this will happen? How am I to know that, that, that all you're saying is going to come true? God then gives him instruction, and it's a ceremony that was actually a way of initiating uh, a covenant. And what he tells him to do is to get a three-year-old uh, heifer, female cow, uh, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he is to cut those animals, to kill them, to cut them in half, except for the birds, and lay the halves side by side. Now, this seems very strange to us, but this was part of a, a customary uh, ceremony to establish a covenant. And God also makes this very interesting statement in verse 12. We're told that as the sun's going down, a deep sleep falls on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So kind of like, by the way, Abraham... This offspring that will be yours, they will go into bondage in a foreign nation for 400 years, and then they will come out with great possessions. And for some of you who are already connecting dots, what what story that's pointing to. But then something very interesting happens. So we have this ceremony. God is establishing the covenant with Abraham. He has killed these animals. He has cut them in half. What's supposed to happen to establish this covenant is both members, remember a covenant is between one or more, or or two or more persons, right? And so both of them are supposed to pass through the animals, 
indicating that if they break the covenant, if they break this agreement, then their fate shall be that of the animals. That was the idea of the ceremony. So they're essentially saying, by passing through, I will die a brutal death if I break this agreement. But what actually happens, we read in verse 17, look at what actually happens. When the sun has gone down, we're told, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passes between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the rivers of Egypt, the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Chazanites, Kadamites, the Hittites, Perzites, the Raphium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gerbishites, and the Jebusites. He gives Abram a promise again. All this land is going to be yours. But what's significant is Abram does not pass through the animals. It is God alone who passes through, and he does so in the imagery of the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, as though to say, God himself will bear the punishment for this covenant. He himself will fulfill the necessary payment, if you will, for this covenant. And that becomes very significant. Abram actually didn't pass through. God alone passed through, as though to say, I will suffer the brutal death for the sake of this covenant. Now, there's a lot that happens in this passage, and as I said, I really struggled to know uh, exactly how much to, to include in our time here. But I really want you to kind of get the, the full scene. So things go on. This covenant is established. There is this ceremony that takes place. And we're told that Sarah decides maybe she can help God out a bit in fulfilling this promise because still the years are going by and she has not had a son. They know the promise. Abraham believes that it's going to happen. They're just not sure how it's going to happen. Um, her, her body now is beyond the, the years of being, being able to have children. And so she's thinking, well, we've got to do something. So she ends up giving her servant Hagar to Abram as sort of a surrogate mother uh, of course, this is a, a very different time and a very different culture. And uh, this is so not something God instructed them to do. This was them kind of, you know, using their own creativity to try and help God out. And the servant has a son whose name is Ishmael. And when God then comes back to them, the, the idea is, look, God, we've helped you out. Now, I now have a son. But God says, no, Ishmael is not the promised son. I promised a son through your wife, Sarah. And the years continue to go by, and Ishmael grows, and he also becomes uh, a great nation, but he is not the son of promise. So now we go on to ver uh, chapter 17, and God again affirms to him his covenant. And he says, you shall be in, in chapter 17, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And you see, there is still this promise. And now God gives a sign. Do you remember the sign in the covenant with Noah? There was a covenant sign that he gave. What was the covenant sign in, in the the rainbow, exactly. So God says, I'm hanging my bow in the sky to indicate 
that I am no longer going to use water to, to destroy the earth. Well, here the covenant sign, and it may be a little awkward, it's a little strange to us again. Um, so the covenant sign here is the, all the male children that come from Abraham are to be circumcised on the eighth day. And you may think, that's a really strange covenant sign. Why would God do that? What does that have to do with his promise? And so this is actually established to Abraham. And this becomes uh, actually the covenant sign, not only through Abraham, but through Moses, through the entire people of Israel. And it's actually one of those things that, again, if you don't understand it, it at some level, the, much of the New Testament actually will be very confusing. So as awkward as it is, it is also an important part of Abram's story. Now, the Lord also changes his name in this point to Abraham and to Sarah, also indicating to them the promise will be fulfilled. You will be the father of a great nation. And now we think, well, and again, I know it's awkward, but bear with me for a moment. Um, what does this whole matter even of the covenant signed circumcision to Abraham have to do with anything? Well, it actually has two primary purposes. Remember the question we're looking to answer. From where is the serpent crusher going to come? From where is the Savior going to come? When will he come? God is telling Abraham, from you, this offspring is going to come that will bless the nations. And so the, this, this sign that God gives to him is a way of setting aside this people, saying you are set apart from all the nations of the earth. From you is going to come a Messiah. So it, it points us forward to the promised seed, the promised offspring of Abram through whom the nations will be blessed. The other thing that it does is it points us back to Abraham. How was he counted righteous? Did you catch that back uh, when we started at verse 6 there in 12? How was Abraham counted righteous before God? He believed God, right? Did you catch that? He believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. What is another way of saying he believed God? He had faith in God, right? So he exercised faith and therefore inherits the promise. He is counted righteous. So we're seeing these themes again as we saw with Noah. Abraham the man of faith believes God's word and has counted him as righteousness. So this covenant sign was meant to point forward to Christ, the coming seed, and point us back to Abraham, the man of faith, the man who entered into this covenant of grace by way of faith alone. And we see then finally, if you keep going, over to 21, some more things happen in between, and he rescues his son-in-law, and it's an it's a intense story. I do encourage you to read it. Uh, so in verse, uh, chapter 21, finally what we have, after how many years do you think have passed between when God first told Abram he would have the son and when he actually has the son? Any guesses on how many years have passed? 100. Yeah. 50, 100. 100. 30. 30? Okay. Um, getting close. It's about 25 years. We read earlier that he was 75 when the promise um, was given. And here we find Abram is uh, now Abraham, around 100 years old, and God grants him his son. And actually his name, Isaac, means laughter because when, when Sarah was again confirmed with, by God that she was going to have this son, 
her initial response was laughter. Like, that's hilarious. I'm old. My body's worn out, and now I'm going to have a son? Like, that's, that's hilarious. And she laughs before God. And actually, this, the, the name that they choose for this boy, Isaac, means laughter. And the story doesn't even end there for Abram. There is also a final test given to him. Does anyone remember the uh, final test given to Abram? Yeah. Right. Very good. You've read the story. So God comes to Abraham, and he had the final test for him. He tells him that he wants him to sacrifice his son in chapter 22. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So now what's happened? He has waited 25 years for this promised son to come, almost to the point when he felt like his own body was ready to be put into the grave and his wife was worn out, and now God grants the son. And now as the son grows, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son and and go to the mountain that I'll show you, and on the mountain I want you to actually sacrifice him to me. Now, does Abraham actually sacrifice his son, or what, what happens in the story as we go from there? You guys know? <laughs> yes. He doesn't actually kill his son, and God sends a ram or sheep to... All right, good job. So, but what we see is Abraham, early the next morning, saddles his donkey, takes two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, cuts the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. And so he's ready to do it. He's, he's giving evidence that he is going to obey the word of God. He's going to trust God. And he's willing to sacrifice his only beloved son, the son that he has waited for, for decades. And of course, as, as you mentioned, the, the story unfolds and, and he is there. Isaac is put on the altar. And as Abraham brings the knife up ready to kill his own son, God stops him. He intervenes, and we see in chapter 22, verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So he called the name of this place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And actually, even at one point, Isaac had asked his dad, "Um, Dad, we have the wood here. We're at the place where God said to come. But where is the sacrifice? What are we sacrificing? He didn't even understand what was going on. And and Abram told him at that time that, that God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And God is pleased with, with Abraham's obedience. Uh, obviously, God does not uh, allow him to follow through with the sacrifice of his son. But we find that God says to him, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because 
you have obeyed my voice. And so we have this incredible account of the story of Abram, which becomes Abraham. So what does all this mean in light of us, in light of this question of how are we saved, of how has God brought about uh, his promise even in the garden to send the serpent crusher? Well, we are told first of all that a seed would come from Abraham. And we tend to think of that mostly in regards to the nation of Israel, right? The, the Jewish nation. But listen to what Paul says about this seed from Abraham. Who is it? Who is it that, that Abraham understood God to be speaking of? Who is it that fulfills this promise? In Galatians 3.15 we read, uh, 16, sorry, Galatians 3.16. Now the promise, the promises were made to Abram, Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, Paul says. And to your offspring, who is Christ? Paul says, the offspring specifically was singular. We tend to think plural, but Abraham understood it primarily in the singular sense. There would be one who would come from the line of Abraham to fulfill this promise and through whom the nations would be blessed. And Paul says that seed was Christ. He fulfilled that promise. And even Jesus affirmed this in John 8, the, the uh, ongoing battle with Christ and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, uh, were always questioning Jesus, always, always uh, trying to, to catch him in his words. And in John 8, 56, listen to what Jesus says about Abraham. He says, your father, now he's speaking to the Jews here, to the Pharisees, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So Jesus is saying two things there. First of all, Abraham was looking forward to the coming of Christ. He rejoiced to see the day of Christ, his offspring, the promise of God. And secondly, Jesus is saying that he precedes Abraham and that he is the eternal one. And this is why they pick up stones to throw him, because he, in their mind, is committing the, the, the sin of blasphemy, to, to make yourself equal to God. But Jesus is God. He is God made flesh, the promised seed of Abraham. The other thing that Abraham's story does for us, it helps us understand the need of sacrifice. There were two clear pictures in the story. Did you catch them? Two clear pictures of sacrifice in the story with Abraham. First of all, there was the passing through of the animals, right? Where God himself passed through the animals that were slain, indicating he would bear the, the debt, the, he would pay the price for this covenant, this covenant of grace, well, that points us forward also to Christ. And this was another question um, in, our, in our book. So I have one more. I know I don't have too many tonight, but one more question. What did Christ undertake in the covenant of grace? So what did Christ undertake in the covenant of grace? And one of your questions in your book. He willingly took the punishment to go on the cross. 
He went to the cross and there he suffered and died. Exactly, and, and the, uh, the answer in, in the book says to keep the whole law for his people and to suffer the punishment due their sins. So he obeys the law and he suffers. And this is what the story of Abraham's pointing forward to, Jesus dying upon a Roman cross. Uh, and remember how Isaac asked Abraham where the sacrifice was and then he said, God will provide well, guess what? 2,000 years later, Jesus would carry a cross of wood up the very same mount that God had Isaac laid upon an altar, which Isaac was spared, the ram was sacrificed, but remember, Abraham said God would provide a lamb, and yet there, there was a ram. Even there's a sense in which that moment pointed us also forward to when the lamb of God, Christ, would carry his bundle of wood, if you will, up the mount and there provide a way of salvation for all who come to him by faith. So there is this picture of sacrifice and provision from God upon the mountain, the mountain of God's provision. And we sing of, of Mount Calvary. This is how God has been preparing this throughout all of these years, bringing us to the point of Christ himself giving up his life. And lastly, as we close, we are reminded through the story of Abraham that the way in which we are brought into this salvation, into this righteousness, is by faith alone. Joined to Christ, the true seed of Abraham, through which the nations will be blessed. And just as Abraham believed the word of God, he trusted the promise, he, he believed God would provide, so as we look to Christ, Trusting he is our provision, he is, the, he is the one who paid the debt that we could not, we too are counted righteous before a holy God. And I'll leave you with Galatians 3, 6, and 9. Again, Paul quoting uh, or referencing Abraham, he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so we saw that, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And we see how these stories help us to understand Christ and the salvation that he has worked. And so the offer stands for all who want to join in this inheritance of Abraham, this gift of life, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of provision, to by faith look unto the lamb that he has provided, look unto Christ, and trust he is a sufficient payment for your sin and for my sin. And so I urge you to do that, and let us pray as we close, and then we will uh, carry on to our, uh, I guess it's both um, my God times. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening, and Lord, I know that uh, our bodies are tired, and uh, Lord, that it's uh, easy to, um, Lord, to, to be distracted in our minds, and, and Lord, we, we, we pray, though, that as we consider these truths, and Lord, this story of Abraham, the man of faith, how you have prepared the way for the coming Messiah through him, through the, the nation of Israel, the, the Jewish people, Lord, you brought forward the serpent crusher whom you had promised thousands of years ago. And so we praise you 
And Lord, I thank you for just your watch care over us this day. We ask that by your Spirit, you help us to understand these things, that you open our hearts and minds, that we may, in fact, receive Christ to be like Abraham, by faith, trusting in your promises. And we just pray for restful sleep and just to wake up refreshed and, uh, Lord, ready to continue on learning and growing and just enjoying the week together. I pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my hand. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hand. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. See